You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. This morning is Resurrection Sunday. I'm going to read a passage out of Exodus. Everybody say, what? <laughs> it, it may seem weird that I'm reading a passage out of Exodus. However, I hope it will become stunningly Uh, fascinatingly clear as to why I'm reading this passage in Exodus. As some of you know, the story of the Exodus and the Israelites is that all the Israelites were taken into captivity by the Egyptians. They were slaves. And then Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And then Pharaoh said, no. (laughs) And then there was the plague of blood. And then Moses goes back to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And then Pharaoh says, no. And then there's the plague of the flies and gnats and uh, uh, livestock, hail, locusts. Uh, There's ten plagues in all. The last plague is the plague where the angel of death passes over all of Egypt. And and, uh, the Israelites are spared because they kill a lamb and, and put its blood on the doorpost. It was a symbol that the blood of the lamb would cover over their household, and so this angel of death would pass over, and it killed all the firstborn of Egypt, even Pharaoh's son. And so this story that I'm going to read is is fascinating, and I read it today on Resurrection Sunday because it was the Passover that the Jewish people were celebrating when they uh, when they crucified Jesus. When Jesus died, he was celebrating. Uh, on Thursday, he celebrated the Passover feast with his disciples. And so with that in mind, let's look at this passage. It says this in Exodus 12, 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be the first month, the first month of, the four, of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel, on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for his household. If a household is too small for the whole lamb, they must share it with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people they are. You are to determine the amount of the lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animal you choose, listen to this, must be a year old male without defect, without defect, perfect. And you must take him from the sheep or the goats and take care of them for fourteen for the fourteenth day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel will sw- slaughter them at twilight. And then skip over, this is just interesting. Uh, verse 14 says, this day, this is the Passover day, the Passover time. You, you are to con- commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything w- with yeast in it, on the first day through the seventh, must be cut off from Israel. On the, on the first day, hold a sacrifice, sacred assembly and another one on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. This, that is all you may do. You guys see it? Everybody's like, what did we just read? You'll, you'll, it will bring it into a perfect, perfect conclusion. And, and uh, look at verse 24. This is the Old Testament. This is obviously the book of Exodus. And it says, obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance. You and your descendants, when you enter the land that the Lord will give you, that's Israel, observe the ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of Israelites in Egypt and spared the homes when he struck down the Egyptians. And the people bowed down and worshipped, and the Israelites did what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we do right now welcome your presence into this room. God, we want to understand more about your death, your burial, and resurrection. 
And so, God, this morning we are going to take a look at the Old Testament and some of the feasts and, and the ceremonies and things that are in the Old Testament that make your story of your death, your, your burial, and your resurrection so amazing, Jesus. We understand that it's true. We understand that our hope is in the resurrection of you, Jesus. And so we love you and we praise you. And everybody screamed? Amen. Amen. All right, everybody. Um, when I was in, I think, about college days, uh, I, was, I was living in another state, and a buddy of mine was like, Hey, Joe, what are you doing this Saturday? Would you like to go to the Jewish synagogue in order to learn Hebrew? The Jewish synagogue, the Jews, Jewish people are obviously people that believe in the Old Testament. They're, uh, they're, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and so they had courses on how to learn Hebrew. And, and, of course, this was on a Saturday, and as I am a true nerd, I would jumped at the opportunity to go to school on a Saturday and learn Hebrew. How fascinating to go to an actual Jew, Jewish synagogue. And so I went there, and I was fascinated by a couple things. Um, it, it looked like a building that was a church, but it really wasn't a church. It was like, uh, like a bizarro church. <laughs> that, that, I don't mean to offend. I just mean, to me, I've never been to a Jewish synagogue before. And I kind of walk in, and, and some random things happened that, that were just interesting. First of all, I was just confused by this guy. I walked in, and they were, everybody was just kind of joking around. And this one guy was, like, telling a joke, and I felt like I was walking into... Um, there's that scene on Dumb and Dumber when they're a ski lodge, and you don't know <laughs> what the joke is. All you hear is, no, but that's a nice ski mask you're wearing, and then they just start laughing. And I walked into this room, and this guy was saying something like, yeah, and I'll meet you at Red Lobster. And everybody's like, ah, <laughs> ah, it's so funny. And I was like, what the heck? And my buddy who brought me had been going to the Jewish synagogue for a while, and he kind of knew more of the Jewish traditions and cultures, leaned over and said, Jewish people don't go to Red Lobster. They don't eat shellfish or shrimps or lobsters. So that's why that was funny. And I was like, oh, that is funny, I guess. And he leaned over and said, it says that in the Old Testament, not to, not to eat lobsters and shrimps and stuff like that. But since we believe that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament, then some of the things that, that weren't allowed to eat back then, we can eat today. And, and God said that they were clean. And then as I was sitting there, uh, we began the, uh, the class by praying. And, and everyone kind of bowed their heads and started reciting um, the Shema, Baruch Adonai Eloheinu. Uh, it, it's basically this prayer in Hebrew of bless the Lord, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Um, is it, it's, it's basically Deuteronomy 6.4. And so I, was, I didn't know that at the time. And so I kind of bowed my head. I'm like, wait, is this a different religion? Do I pray? I, I don't know what to do. And my friend leaned over and said, it's okay to pray. They're praying to the Old Testament God. That's our God. They're just repeating Deuteronomy 6.4. And I said, okay. And I, I just like bowed my head. Um, and then during class, they started going over the alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet. And I, of course, wanted to write down some notes. So I pulled out my pen and started writing down some notes. And my buddy leaned over to me and said, don't write anything. And I said, what? <laughs> don't write anything. And I'm just like, what? Don't write anything. And he leaned to me and said, today is Saturday. They're Sabbath. And they're really not supposed to be in school. And so the way that this particular class, the synagogue, kind of got around that is they said we're still going to have, have class on sabbath but we're not going to write anything as a way of honoring the sabbath and 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 my buddy was like it, it says in the old testament to honor the sabbath it's just their way of honoring the sabbath and i was like oh okay cool and what i just thought was so fascinating was that here is a group of people believing only in the old testament still today and and holding to 
what's in the Old Testament and not believing yet in Jesus, that Jesus was the fulfillment of, of this whole Old Testament, which he really is. And, and there's some uh, people that call themselves Messianic Jews. Messianic Jew is a, is a person that comes from maybe a Jewish background or is in their genealogy Jewish. However, they, uh, they became a Christian. And so they're a Christian, and yet they celebrate some of the Passover things and the Passover seders, yet they believe that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so today I have one point, and one point only for the Mill Sunday School, um, and that is that the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ were God's, was God's perfect plan on this earth to redeem an imperfect people. That's us. And so we're going to be looking at this today and, and some of the facts and, and just fascinating things that I've found that, that, that make Jesus the, f- the fulfillment of the whole Old Testament is, is really just beautiful, in my opinion. And so uh, that's what we're talking about this morning. Um, if you're brand new to Sunday school, there should be one of these bad boys on your table. It says first timer. It's kind of a pink card. If you want to fill that out. You could turn it in after Sunday school to the main table here, and we will give you in exchange a CD of the, it's got a couple mill songs on it, a sermon of the mill, and uh, just as our way of thanking you for being here. And so uh, we want you to do that. And um, yeah, it's Resurrection Sunday, people. Are you excited about that? Are you wearing your pastels like I am? I'm so prim and proper with my pastels on today. Um <laughs> If you want, you could turn in your notes. There's basically four parts of today's lesson that we're going to talk about. The first one is Palm Sunday. Everybody say Palm Sunday. (laughs) Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Um, Imagine yourself in around 33 AD. That's the date around which that Jesus uh, was, was crucified. And it's around that time on the Sunday. You know that today is Resurrection Sunday. What was last Sunday? Palm Sunday. And so we as Christians call it Palm Sunday. The Jewish people still to this day, um, and, and back then at Jesus' time, celebrate that day as the first part of their Passover week. And it's the week where they're supposed to do no work, like we read. That's why we read uh, Exodus, where they're supposed to do no work, where they're supposed to have a festival, where they're supposed to slaughter a lamb for the Passover meal. And so this particular Sunday that Jesus comes, comes into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, this Sunday that we call Palm Sunday just so happens to be the Sunday that all the Jewish people in Jerusalem, and you realize that Jerusalem would have had to have been packed, that just a packed city, thousands of people streaming into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, either bringing lambs or going to Jerusalem and buying a lamb. Because where was the one place where a lamb could be slaughtered on the altar before the Lord? The temple, which was in Jerusalem. So all these people are swarming to Jerusalem. The city's packed. And on Sunday, it was Lamb Selection Day. The day in which the, the Genesis says it has to be a year old male without defect. And so maybe you're looking at this lamb and you're like, what's that little brown spot? I don't know about that lamb. Uh, I don't want that one. I, w- I want this one. It's like, well, this one's double the price. It doesn't matter. I'll take it because it's my sacrifice to the Lord. It's the animal that's going to get killed. It, it's, it's kind of weird to think about the Old Testament way of that it's very bloody. Um, but that blood from the lamb is going to be shed, and then the lamb is going to be eaten on the Passover. And so it's this Sunday, last Sunday, that we celebrate Palm Sunday that was Lamb Selection Day. And this is the day that Jesus, tri- it's called the triumphal entry, 
comes into Jerusalem riding on a what? Do you remember? On a donkey. And what's so interesting, so cool about that is that here's the presentation of Jesus. It's almost as if God is himself is saying, here's my lamb. Will you believe in it? Think about that for a second. Pretty cool, don't you think? Here's my lamb. Will you believe in this lamb? And when all these other, when people are picking a sheep, here's Jesus, God himself, a perfect sacrifice being made. And, and it's Jesus. It's, it's interesting to think about this donkey. Have you ever thought about the donkey that Jesus rode in on? Nobody? Just, I, I'll help you think about it for just a second. I think about some weird things like this sometimes. Turn to Luke 19. It says a really interesting thing about this uh, particular animal. Uh, Luke 19, verse 28 is where, where I've, I've gone. And it's the story of the, the donkey, uh, the colt. And it says this, After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethany on the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell them, the Lord needs it. <laughs> and they do, just as they say. Verse 32 says, so those two were sent ahead, and they found it, uh, just as he had been told. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked, why are you untying the colt? <laughs> Dude, you're stealing my colt. And they replied, the Lord needs it. And then, and then it just... They said, like, yeah, that's cool. The Lord needs it. Think about the owners of that donkey for just a second. It says the donkey had never been ridden. A little weird, don't you think? I mean, this is like the animal, the workhorse animal that, that people used back then. It would be like if you worked construction and you had a, a pickup truck, a work truck, and yet you kept it in your garage and polished it and, and never even turned over the engine. You're like, dude, you got a work truck. Why you like, got a backpack full of all your tools going to work every day? Put your stuff in your work truck. It's like, my truck has never been used. Like, this donkey had never, ever been ridden. And, and maybe, I don't know, I kind of have to fill in the story because the story's not really filled in. I just imagine, this is just me imagining, that the owner of that donkey, maybe the Lord appeared to him and said, don't let ever, anyone ever ride on that donkey. This donkey is going to be a holy donkey that's going to bring in God himself into Jerusalem. I don't know. That's what I just imagine. And so I just imagine, like, the kids of that owner um, <laughs> being like, dude, you want to see my dad go crazy? <laughs> and so they go running out there. They put like a, a little saddle on the donkey. They're about to ride it, and the dad comes busting out. Get off the donkey! Get off the donkey! It's, it's not supposed to be ridden. And uh, that's just where my mind, because, you, you know, you have to kind of fill in, and, and obviously that's a silly way of filling it in, but... You have to, I mean, you have to at least think, like, why hadn't this donkey been ridden? And why, when someone went to go pick it up, all they had to say was, the Lord needs it. And then they get it. It's just kind of interesting to me. And it's on Passover that Jesus rides in, uh, surrounding this Passover feast, that um, sometimes a lot of riots happened in Jerusalem. First off, there was just tons of people in Jerusalem, much more than the city could hold. And so people were just kind of stacked in this city to celebrate this meal and it kind of had the whole week uh, as a Sabbath to literally do nothing. And when people sit around and have nothing to do, um, sometimes bad things start to, be, start to form. And even more than that, Passover was a time. You realize what people were celebrating. They were celebrating their freedom from the captivity of Egypt. And so here they are, once again, under captivity by what government? Do you know? 
Yeah, by the Roman government. They're under, Rome owns Israel. That's why there was, when Jesus was crucified, for instance, um, they had to first try him under the Jewish law and then the Roman law because it was the Roman law that only had the authority to, to condemn a man to death. And so here they are under the oppression of the Roman government. So extra battalions of Roman government, Josephus, one of the Jewish scholars and historians, records that extra battalions would be sent to Jerusalem around this festival days because people were so ready to revolt, and revolts and riots did happen around Passover. And here comes Jesus on a, on a colt, on a, on, a, on a donkey, riding in to Jerusalem. And um, they're waving palm branches and putting these palm branches on the ground before Jesus and taking off their coats and putting these, their coats on the ground before Jesus. And I had always just thought, and, and what it says in the Bible actually is that they, they put them down before Jesus and Jesus would then walk on them, that they were literally like kind of rolling out the red carpet for Jesus and paving the way. Um, but what's so interesting about palm branches is uh, um, what we used to get some. I was just thinking like in, when I was a kid, I, I uh, was raised Catholic and in the Catholic service on Palm Sunday, we'd all get these little palm branches. And uh, it was just during the service, we'd wave them, Hosanna, and then we'd put them down on the altar. And as kids, that was pretty fun. And then I'd whip my little brother with the palm branch. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the palm branch isn't just like a branch of a tree that they just kind of put down and records that it was a palm branch. Uh, there's no more other details behind it. There's a fascinating detail behind it, that that was the branch, that the palm branch was a symbol in a way of that the Maccabeans took on when they revolted against the Greek Empire. So take back 200 years to the Greek Empire coming in, and uh, the Maccabees held off the Greeks for 100 years. And I say that not to give you some more details to confuse you, but to say that that branch was like a, a statement of freedom. That branch would be like us as Americans waving the American flag, saying, give us our freedom. It was, it was a political symbol. And so here they are, the, the streets are filled with people, people are waving branches, people are saying something. Do you know what they're saying? Hosanna. It's, it's actually, it means save us, but it's actually a political term. Like, give us freedom, save us. Here's all these people. Do you see what's happening? Kind of a riot is beginning to form, this huge crowd. Um, and people begin to, to get a little afraid. Um, here's some more details, just in case you're, you're interested in fun details like I am. One of the details is that on this particular day, Jewish people in the, the priest in the temple would leave a door open of the temple so that the Messiah, the Messiah who's predicted about in the Old Testament, would come. They would leave the door open, one of the doors open in the temple on this particular day. Isn't that just amazing that, yes, on this day of the year, our king named Jesus, the Messiah, came into Jerusalem. How interesting, don't you think? I, I was just fascinated by that. Um, one other detail is that um, Jesus is coming from Jericho. And it says that, that the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah, it says in Zechariah 9.9, if you want to turn there, it's like a really hard book of, of the Bible to find. It's like buried in the, the minor prophets. But if you could find it in time, uh, Zechariah 9.9, um, this is interesting. Um, he's coming from Jericho. Which, by the way, before we read this, is another detail. If you look on a map and see Jerusalem and Jericho, Jericho is directly east, almost directly, directly east of Jerusalem. And so here Jesus is coming from the east into Jerusalem. 
Are there prophecies about the coming king coming from the east? Yes, there are in the Old Testament. It's a fulfillment of that. And then it says this. Okay, so we're reading from the Old Testament, a book written hundreds of years, hundreds of years before the New Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus came. And it says this, the coming king of Zion, Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous, having salvation, gentle, and riding on a donkey. Oh my gosh, that's Jesus. Think about it. He's the coming king. This is written in Zechariah hundreds of years before Jesus came. And yet all these details are being fulfilled. And so can you imagine it? This crowd begins to form. The, the crowd is erupting, singing, shouting, save us. There's all these palm branches waving. What do you think the Roman government is going to do? It's probably going to come in and crush that riot that's beginning to happen. And so it says in Luke that, that some of the leaders hush the people. Say, shut up. Shut up. You're going to get us in trouble. You're going to get us in tons of trouble. The Roman government is going to come in and not just spank us on the wrist, but they're going to come in with swords and do whatever they have to do to stop this riot right now. And so the, the crowd, the, the crowd is try, these leaders try to hush the crowd. But what's Jesus say? Turn to Luke uh, 19. Luke 19 says that Jesus... Um, Luke 19, verse 40. As Jesus is coming in, these people are excitedly yelling, waving the, the palm branches. Jesus says, the Pharisees try to hush the people. But Jesus says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. You know why? Because he himself is God being revealed to Jerusalem. And then the passage goes on to say something very interesting. If you, if you read it for the very first time, um, it's it's like almost shocking what happens next and it's it's recorded only twice in the gospels that jesus our savior our god cries one time is before um at at a friend's funeral lazarus funeral jesus cries and then lazarus is raised from the dead it's an interesting set of events and this time that he cries the other time in the gospels that it's recorded that jesus cries is right here Right now, as he's, as he's entering triumphantly, as people are saying, you're, you're going to be our military leader. You're going to come in, and you're going to get us free from the Roman captivity. And Jesus says something like this in verse 42. It says, if you had only known, if you had only known on this day, what would bring you peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. And then he says that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. Skip ahead in that same paragraph. It says, they will not leave one stone on, on another. That Jerusalem will be squashed at a later time because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. To recap that, what Jesus says, he, he begins crying. It says he cries aloud. He weeps so that people can see him weeping as this huge party is going on. People are screaming, save us. Jesus is weeping. You know why? It says because people didn't recognize who he really was. People didn't really recognize that he himself was God. They thought he was just going to be a great military leader, but he was God. And so Jesus wept over that. They were, they, people were screaming, save us, Hosanna. And it was a political term. But really, Jesus is a spiritual. He's God himself. Yelling, save us, to God is a spiritual thing. And yet Jesus weeps because people did not understand him. People did not understand or recognize who he was. And I think today, 
even today on, on this Resurrection Sunday, um, Jesus is in a place where, you know, you, you may have friends that don't know him, that are far from knowing who Jesus is. You may have um, people in your workplace that don't know who he is. You just know people that don't know Jesus. And I think we could legitimately say that Jesus weeps over those that don't recognize who he is, possibly like he wept here in, in Luke 19 as, as people thought he was a military leader. No, he's God himself on this earth, and he's weeping over those that did not recognize him. So that's the, that's the, the Palm Sunday, the Lamb Selection Day. Skip in your notes to where it says the Passover meal. There's some interesting details about this, the Passover meal. Did you know that um, in Hebrew, Passover, the word he, in Hebrew for Passover is posh. And still today, um, the Eastern Orthodox Church and some other churches don't call Easter Easter. Don't call the Resurrection Sunday Easter. They call it posh, Passover, because those two days are highly in entwined with one another that this res this time of the resurrection that we celebrate the resurrection as christians and this time of the jewish people celebrating passover comes at the same time do you know that jesus during his last supper was actually celebrating the passover meal look at um look at this in luke 28 excuse me luke 22 there is no luke 28 luke 22 Verse 8, there's some similar circumstances around uh, the Passover meal being celebrated. It says, uh, Jesus sent, so this is Luke 22, 8. Jesus sent Peter and John, to, Peter and John saying, go make preparations for the Passover, to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked. Then he replied, as you enter the city, this is kind of like the donkey thing. As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to his house that he enters and say to that owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. <laughs> you got to wonder, like, who's this, this random guy carrying water? And, and <laughs> Peter and John are just like, hey, you got a room for us? The teacher needs it. And, and here's this upper room, all furnished, all ready to go, and, and just like ready to receive 12 people to eat this meal there. Just kind of interesting, don't you think? It goes along with the point, the main point today, that the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus was God's perfect plan to redeem his imperfect people. And so this, the, the Passover meal, um, I, was, I was talking with my friend Joel, who, who's over here, who who's kind of comes from a Messianic Jewish um, background. And he was telling me some things about the Passover meal and the Passover Seder. And he was saying some interesting things that made me think of communion. That even today, the Jewish people get together, they take a piece of matzah, which is bread, unleavened bread, kind of like a cracker. They break it in three pieces, symbol of three. I, we would say trinity. They, they take one of the pieces, they hide it, the kids go crazy, they find the piece. Um, they come back, and then they take the matzah, the, the cracker-like bread, and they dip it into the wine, and then they eat it. This sounds pretty familiar, don't you think? To what we do in communion. And so Jesus was doing this with his disciples as a part of this Passover meal. And if you want to read Leviticus 23 sometime on your own, it's a fascinating passage about the details of what that Passover meal needs to look like. But Jesus celebrates the Passover with his, with his friends in a very interesting way. He says something to them 
that that we just as as Christians and and me as well have always just thought well that that was something Jesus said that was new to what Jesus said Jesus kind of made up that lingo as he as he did the first communion there but that lingo was something that was more like um, really is really more like a marriage proposal and I'm going to explain that in a second and uh, my marriage proposal stories are fascinating just get one girl talking about how she got engaged and like it's just like boot like tractor beams other girls will just immediately huddle up and uh start sharing stories about how they were uh proposed to and uh, our proposal story is pretty cool um it's it's just you, there's some details that just kind of not have to go with the story but are just a custom in our culture to go with the story like for instance getting down on a knee right ladies sometimes uh uh the diamond ring right most of the time uh uh, kind of a special place or something something special about the events or the day of the proposal. That's just kind of the norm, right? There's nothing that requires that. You can go out of the norm for whatever reason and celebrate on your own. But those are just kind of things that fall into the norm of a marriage proposal. So me and Erica, I, we were in her hometown of Duluth, Minnesota, and uh, we were at the shore of Lake Superior, Rose Gardens, Sunsets, and uh, I... I had a journal entry of, like, we had been dating for a year, and so I pulled out a journal, and I read a journal entry of when I first met her. Everybody say, oh. <laughs> and the journal entry was about how I, I really like this girl, Erica, and how I hope to marry a girl like her and how godly she is. I mean, this is right around, like, the first week or so, maybe first month-ish that I met her. I wrote all these really nice things about her. And so I read that to her, and then, of course, got down on one knee. Uh, and, and I pulled out the diamond ring, and I said, well, I say, you say, Erica Don Shaleen was her maiden name. Will you marry me? She said yes, and, and it's precious. And then, uh, and then that week, probably that week alone, we probably retold the story of how I proposed to her probably like a million times. <laughs> and and uh, it's just fascinating the proposal story and and how people are engaged. Well, people in the ancient Jewish culture they didn't have diamond rings or get down on one knee. They had a different sort of ceremony. And in their ceremony, two families would get together: the 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 young man's family and the young woman's family. The whole family would get together. These two families, and they would negotiate something. They would negotiate the bride price, which wasn't. We're going to purchase your daughter. That's not the Jewish way of doing it. It's more the amount of money to replace such a huge loss that this family has to go through. And so it's just a part of the culture. We don't have anything like that. Um, but as part of the culture, they did that. And then the father of the young man would pour a glass of wine, give it to the young man. The young man would take that glass of wine and lift it, and he would hold it to the to his uh, the girl he was proposing to, and say, this is the blood of a new covenant. And then she would take that glass, and she could do a couple things. She could either take it and then return it and say, no, I, I, I don't want to marry you. Or she could take it, and she could say thank you. She could say whatever she wants. Or she could just take it and in her silence say yes by drinking the wine. Now this is fascinatingly similar to what Jesus does at the, at the upper room celebrating this Passover meal. He holds that cup up and he says, 
this is a covenant of my new blood. And the, 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 that lingo was kind of like saying, this is a covenant, this is a promise of my family line, my blood, my genealogy. Would you join me in it? And so it's, it's fascinating to think that Jesus was kind of stealing the lingo of a, of a marriage proposal at this feast of this Passover. It's fascinating to me. And, and if I was there um, at, this, um, at this Passover feast with Jesus, a lot of you know me as um, kind of a silly person. Um, if I was there, maybe I would have misunderstood and just started giggling uncontrollably. Like, dude, he's proposing marriage to us? What the heck? Like looking at Peter like, um, I don't know. Uh, maybe I would have understood. Maybe I would have gotten it that that God himself was sitting across the table from me. And in the, in the, the way of the day of symbolizing such a great love, I mean, imagine the love of a young man asking a young woman to marry him. That's the symbolism that Jesus uses at that table, at that Passover feast, to say God himself asking us if we will marry him. Pretty cool, I think. Um, when I thought, when I was researching this, I just, my eyes began to water and I just thought, this is so powerful that God himself is using this symbol of a marriage proposal to invite me into his presence. And it was just, it was just a really cool moment of doing this research for this talk this Sunday. Um, so we have the, the, the Palm Sunday, the, the Passover meal. The, the next event is Jesus' death that has fascinating parallels to the jewish way of of sacrificing an animal you see every day at at, at uh two times per day uh mid-morning mid-afternoon a, an animal was sacrificed in the jewish temple in jerusalem um and so in the afternoon it was three o'clock and so they didn't have watches back then or even clocks back then i don't think um they they told time by the sun and so there would probably be someone there with a sundial and when it said 3 o'clock, there would be another person. And this other person held a horn. In Hebrew, the word for horn, does anyone know? Have you heard the word shofar before? That's, that's the Hebrew word for a horn. That uh, 3 o'clock, the sundial would say 3 o'clock. The shofar, this, this ram's horn with like a weird hole in it somehow, would be and blow the, the horn. And then, uh, in the temple ground, there would be a priest holding a lamb, holding a knife. And that, that, that priest, at 3 o'clock, every day, was the Jewish way, every day would kill the lamb right there. The blood would be on the altar. And, and I imagine that around Jerusalem, that horn could probably be heard. That, that people might, might remember or know that right at that moment, 3 o'clock, was when an animal was being sacrificed. That God's promise that he would redeem his people with the blood of a perfect lamb would be remembered. And I think, like, back in my childhood, I lived, uh, my dad was in the Air Force, and uh, we lived on an Air Force base. And I think it was every Friday. I don't know if they still do this. Um, every Friday at some, some time, I think it was around 4 or 5 or something o'clock, um, all the loudspeakers all over the Air Force base would come on, and you would hear... The, the national anthem and and everybody 
No matter what you were doing, I was just a kid playing and, and probably like burying my G.I. Joes and stuff. You'd stop what you were doing, you'd stand up, and if you saw a flag, you would face that flag and put your hand on your heart. If you didn't see a flag, you'd just face the music. And so all over the Air Force Base, the, the national anthem would come on, cars would stop. You, you'd look around and people would be stopped. And if, if you were the person that didn't really notice or you had a Walkman in or something, um, you'd just still be walking along, you know, and then you'd, then you'd realize, like, oh, my gosh, and you'd face the flag. And you'd remember, for me as a kid, I thought about my dad and what he was doing. And, and uh, my dad was gone quite a bit throughout my childhood um, in Korea and other places. And so I thought, my dad is somewhere, uh, whether he's here at this Air Force Base and coming home tonight or whether he's, he was in a different country, my dad is, is fighting for freedom of the United States. That's what I thought as thought of as a little kid in this moment of silence as everything kind of stopped. And, and I imagine that's, that's probably similarly what would have happened around 3 o'clock in Jerusalem, a crowded city, the shofar going off, and people coming to our remembrance that God himself was, was remaining and continuing his promise that, that he would redeem those people that believe that the, that the lamb's blood was for the sacrifice of their sins. What's so fascinating about this is that on Good Friday, the, the, the Friday that we just celebrated, the Friday before the, the, the Sabbath, the, the Saturday, and then the Sunday of Jesus' resurrection, um, Mark records that the day Jesus was brought to a hill and the day that, that Jesus died on a cross, that between noon and 3 o'clock on this particular day, the sky got very dark, like twilight, it says. And... And I don't know if you've, you've ever seen the sky. I mean, it's not supposed to be dark between noon and 3 o'clock. And so people must have thought, there's something weird going on. People must have thought, maybe a, a weird sort of storm is coming in. Um, I remember one time seeing that kind of weird kind of twilight glow around uh, 3 or 4 in the afternoon. And then a tornado came. <laughs> and so people must have thought, something big is really happening. And so Mark records that on that day that Jesus was brought to the hill to be crucified, between noon and 12, it was dark. And then at 3 o'clock, it's recorded that Jesus, that Jesus right at 3 o'clock, breathes his last and says, it is finished. That's a fascinating um, parallel that right there in Jerusalem, uh, Jesus was somewhere near a hill called Golgotha, and that on the temple, a shofar was being blown. And this horn, and a lamb was being killed right then and there. And people thought of that lamb being killed. And that's the exact moment that our Savior, a perfect lamb as, as the symbol of Jesus, is being killed on a cross. I find that so fascinating and, and so evident that, that the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus is God's perfect plan. That all these details perfectly fell into place as Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of of our sins and the very last uh, <clears throat> on your notes is Jesus resurrection I want to talk about that for a minute and this brings it in my mind brings it all together because Jesus dies there on the cross um, <clears throat> he's taken down and he's taken down on that Friday put into a tomb the average person didn't have a tomb but it says that a very rich man Joseph of Arimathea gave Jesus his tomb and if you had a tomb, you, the body would be placed into the tomb. Um, after a time, the body would decay. The bones would be collected and then put into a smaller box called an ossuary. 
And so Jesus' body had been brought into this tomb, a large stone. Usually there's like a ditch running along, and you'd roll this stone. It would take like four or five dudes, maybe even more, to roll this stone into place. And Jesus was placed in there. Then the stone was rolled and to cover up the tomb. And it, it says that on Sunday morning, I've always thought the, the events of Jesus' resurrection were the stone was rolled away, and then Jesus came out. But if you read it very carefully... Jesus came out. Then the stone was rolled away. That's just it's fascinating for me to think about, that no rock, no amount of weight could hold Jesus back from the grave. And so on this Sunday morning is another feast, like Passover, usually combined with the, the, the festivities of Passover. Passover and then this celebration of first fruits. First fruits on this the beginning of the week, the first day of the week for the Jewish person is Sunday. On this first day of the week, people would wake up and they would remember that, that and thank God for the fruit of the ground, the wheat, the harvest. They would thank God for that amount of grain and then they would take some of it and in, in symbol, give it to the Lord. They would bring it to the temple. The, the priest would wave it or burn it and they would sacrifice this first harvest to God, saying, God, I'm going to give you the first bit of, of, of harvest from my field to you because I know that you will provide for me the rest of the whole year long. And so the, on this morning of first fruits, this whole day was the celebration of first fruits. On this celebration, Jewish people were thanking God for the gift of fruit coming from the ground. Think about that for a second. And what happened on Resurrection Sunday? That the same man, the same rabbi who said, unless this wheat, unless this seed falls to the ground and is buried, it will not spring about life. Jesus said things like that. Jesus said things like, I must be gone for three days and then come back and arise to you. I must be buried like Jonah in the whale for three days and then be resurrected. This same God who said that on this particular day, on this moment when people are waking up and thanking God for the harvest, for the fruit that's come from the ground, Jesus is raised from the dead. On this very day, and I find that so fascinating that that Jesus said, "I am the bread of life." On this day, when you're you're thanking God, especially for the wheat harvest, that Jesus said, "I am the bread of life. I give life to all of those that eat of my flesh." Is what He says, and I just find it so fascinating that these details run into the story that that makes this all the stories, all the significance of His death, His burial, His resurrection. Palm Sunday, all these events, the Passover meal, his perfect plan for redeeming his imperfect people. There's a, there's a saying on, on uh, Resurrection Sunday um, to say, uh, some people, even this morning, you go, you go around and say, Happy Easter, um, Happy Easter, or Good Morning, or How are you doing? How are you doing? But uh, some traditions, uh, more traditional uh, church traditions, uh, Eastern Orthodox especially, have this tradition that says, um, you go around instead of saying hi or what's up, you say, he has risen. And then the response, he has risen indeed. He has risen. He has risen indeed. And so this, this, this idea that you just greet each other on this morning, it used to be the, the ancient way I heard this morning, the ancient way of greeting each other in the ancient church was to always use that. Instead of saying, what's up, bro? What's up, homie? You, you would just say, he has risen. He is risen indeed. That was just a, a greeting. 
And, and today, there's people all over more Catholic traditions or Eastern traditions greeting each other this morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And there's the, there's the story that I, I want to close this morning with. There's the story of in a communist Russia, in East, Eastern Europe. There's the story of uh, which, which Eastern Europe is very um, Eastern Orthodox, Greek Orthodox. And so they would, of course, greet each other with, He is risen. He is risen indeed. There's a story of uh, uh, during the height of communism. As many of you know, if you've ever thought about communism or studied it, um, you know that communism says that you know we don't do religion. We do. We work for the people. We work for the good of the the, the socialism. Um, and the, there's no place for religion in communism. In fact, in fact, a, a famous uh, communist Chinese leader said, "Religion isn't the opiate of the people. It's no good. It's just it's it's silly." And so. Um, on Easter morning, on Resurrection Sunday, um, I'm sure churches all over Colorado Springs, although it would have, would have been very cold at sunrise to celebrate our Lord's resurrection, I'm sure people were out there all over all over the world today celebrating Christ's resurrection with the, the rising sun. And on this particular day, in the height of communism, um, uh, many years ago, uh, instead of an Easter sunrise service, they had a they had a sunrise service celebrating communism and all these communist propaganda was talked about and in front of thousands of people guards were there uh, to make sure people didn't didn't celebrate Easter that they didn't celebrate Jesus but they were celebrating communism um, they talked for a little while and then an open mic was given to this huge crowd where people could come up and say things about how great communism was and this young man is the first to come up and uh, guards are there guns are pointed and and they say say what is true say that communism is the way is the, is the power and he comes up to the mic and he says he has risen and in the silence a gunshot is heard and the entire crowd erupts he has risen indeed and the the, the story is the power of the resurrection the power in saying he has risen indeed the power of saying that the power of believing that in your heart is what gives us eternal life. It's what brings us from sin and, and an old life into a new life. The fact that he is the first to raise from the dead, that he is the first fruit, that, that our salvation is rested on him because then we also will be resurrected, that our faith is in him because he will allow us to be raised from the dead too, that we will be with him in heaven is the powerful story of truth on this earth. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we worship you, Jesus. We worship a God this morning that did not stay dead, that, that rose from the grave. And all these amazing, fascinating facts about how you did that, about your prophecies that you would come, you would be the Messiah for the entire world. God, we just, we just bring those into our thinking. We bring those into our spirit, and we praise you. We praise you and thank you for the way in which you came to this world, the way in which you died, the way in which you were resurrected. God, we put all our faith and all our trust in you, Jesus. We love you. We honor you. And everybody said, Amen.